This podcast is the second episode of Novel Writers The Warm-Up. Novel Writers is a monthly event organized by Spike Island in partnership with Bristol Festival of Ideas. Today, I received Pretty Taneja for her successful novel called We That Are Young, published by Galebiga Press last year. We That Are Young won the Desmond Elliott Prize and has been shortlisted for many prestigious awards last year and this year. So, Pretty Taneja, you will read some extracts of your novel and you will discuss it tonight in Spike Island during the Novel Writer's Night, a monthly event held by Spike Island and the Bristol Festival of Ideas to put light on a brilliant first novel writer. But together, we won't directly speak about We That Are Young. We will save this for later. We will have a look on your backstory, on the story before the story you wrote, on the path that led you to the writing and the publishing of We That Are Young. So thank you very much, very, very much for being here today and for warming up with me. How thank is you your... for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. How is your day going? Well, it's wonderful to be here in Bristol. Yeah. Um, I haven't been here for quite some time, so I'm excited to come back and talk about all sorts of things from empire to politics to commonwealth. I mean, today of all days when we are in a kind of crisis, a political crisis here in the UK um, with Brexit and ministers resigning left, right and centre who really ought to have seen through what they started. Um, it, it is an extraordinary moment to come and talk about a book like this, which has so much to do with commonwealth and empire and, and kingdoms and so on. So it makes me think that you already have a very impressive CV. You've been graduated both in theology and in creative writing, if my right. You worked with some NGOs. You've been a screenwriter, a PhD candidate. You co-founded a production company for documentaries. So you have a busy and serious CV. And so my first question is, why did you start to write fiction? Does it have any links with your previous activities or current activities? Well, a portfolio career often hides a desire, a burning desire to do one thing. Um, and for a long time, it was something, fiction writing was what I really wanted to do. But I think for me, it took a lot of time to give myself permission to be a writer, to have a go at trying to do something which, when I was growing up, was considered the highest of all the arts, the literary arts. Um, and, you know, even though you might start out thinking, I'm going to be a foreign correspondent or an astronaut or something like this. Life doesn't always go the way you hope. Especially with writing? Especially with writing and especially for women and sometimes even for women of colour. It, it take, just takes more time. Mm. And so I did all of these different kinds of jobs where I was working around the idea of writing fiction. And all of the time I was doing human rights reporting and I was doing um, script writing with friends or whatever in the back of my mind, I was always like, well, but I want to be a writer. And then one day I, I kind of realized that I had to stop saying that and actually <laughs> do something about it. Um, Did you think you kept this big dream away from you for quite a long time? Was it because of you and your own fears? Or do you think it's because the context around you? Maybe, I don't know, you didn't know other writers or you didn't feel it was not something 
that you could achieve or I think it's a bit of both mm. um I think taking on you know doing doing a book writing a novel it, it or even writing short stories or poems if you really want to to write then you will you're writing your own time you're writing your diary you'll write on this on the on in your notebook or whatever but getting from that to sitting down and saying I'm going to try to get published mm-hmm. is a whole other leap of faith mm-hmm. now um after I left university um I I was a home carer for a really long time and and so it wasn't just about like the industry or not being around other writers which is also true um it was also about my personal circumstances and Absolutely. the fact that I was responsible for somebody who was very sick and there just wasn't Time anything else energy to do, right? um mm. so you know um it wasn't till I was sort of 33 that this moment came where I where I realized that if I wasn't going to try I would never know mm-hmm. around the beginning of your 30s you felt that it was the moment for you yeah I felt like if I didn't if I didn't try to actually make this happen for myself I would always be feeling very frustrated mm-hmm. in my jobs and I loved being a human rights reporter. It's a real privilege to be able to bear witness um and and report on people's lives to try to, to make a difference and so on. Um but the constraints of how you have to write that material up into a report, a human rights report that's going to be for advocacy purposes or something like that were really limiting for me. Mm-hmm. Um and it's very repetitive work, you know. It's also quite draining work. I can believe. Um mm. So even while you know that it's it it is a privilege to be able to go and and cover um Iraqi refugee situation in Jordan which is something I did quite a lot and very politically important to me it it still wasn't totally fulfilling mhm somehow because fiction, fiction writing is my mm. first love um and I realized that if I wasn't going to try and make a go of it then uh, I was never going to feel happy um You wrote a little essay that has been published on Penguin's publishing house's website and in this little text you say I'm meant to be working on the next thing. <laughs> I don't know how much about that, but I know that the process won't change. It will start with reading, it always has. And what are the books that made you willing to write or what was that reading you did before writing if it makes any sense? I um, it really depends how far you want to go back, you know. I mean, if you if you, if you most writers have the whole afternoon. Most writers um, have a secret reading childhood. Um some do, some don't and that and that's obviously not something you have to have in order to become a writer, but certainly books were you know, the pastime of choice in our house when I was a kid. There was it was a book childhood um i was always happiest reading and some of the books that i loved back then were you know very classic books jane eyre was a huge influence on me as a young person um i i read it a bit too young to fully understand it but i read it over and over from the age of about 10 until i was about 17 you know all oh, right it was your book right yeah <laughs> and all of the kind of material around that so jean reese um she who the retelling is white sargasso see um and so the relationship between a classic text and an empire revision of that text has always been something that I've been interested in that really ha- shaped what i wanted to do with the shakespeare um because my book we that are young is based on shakespeare's king lear um 
But for for this novel in particular, a whole range of Indian writers writing in English who come from the Indian subcontinent or are still based there, there or now live in America or, or, or here, um, influenced me from Salman Rushdie's Midnight's Children to V.S. Naipaul um, in terms of style and in terms of points of view, um, in terms of the ways they reported on women and wrote about women or not. But outside the Indian world, other writers that had a huge influence on me include um, J.M. Kutsio, uh, whose books, again, really show me inside the mind of privilege because he writes about it so well, what it, what it, from the perspective of people who have everything and are losing it, men in particular. If you think about a book like Disgrace, which has... Mm-hmm had a huge influence on me and because it's told from the perspective of this very very venal white man in a changing South Africa that's going you know to going out of apartheid and into a much more equal world hopefully um but the way that that happens is with a kind of violence of masculinity and and it's perpetrated on the female body seen through the eyes of of the white man um and then there's a whole other layer to it, of course, which has to do with race um, and animals, which animal rights is one of Kutsia's major concerns. So you have this very short, very clearly written book, which really shows a colonial mindset. And reading it as an Indian, British, Asian woman writer, it's absolutely fascinating and a lesson in how you can construct a mind like that in your own work if that's what you wanted to do and certainly in my in my book um i'm interested in exploring all different kinds of person human personalities so it's mostly fiction writing mostly fiction yes books, yeah mostly fiction that... yeah also myths and epics you know not just novels um with the indian epics like the mahabharata and the ramayana those kind of stories that you get given when you're a kid and you're supposed to know because that's you know your culture and uh there's something about those stories which you quickly realize as a child that it really depends on who's telling them because sometimes you might read you get so many different versions of these myths and you know in cartoons and then you might read them again in in, a, in the storybooks and as you get older the versions change or the point of views change and you can kind of realize suddenly that these myths aren't fixed they are malleable mm-hmm. and really the narrator is the one with the power mm-hmm. the point of view change everything exactly mm-hmm. so if you read myths you realize that if you were to put your own narrative spin on something then you can change the way the mythology operates and maybe reframe a social a social culture do you have a first memory of you writing because you said you said me that you were kind of a kid obsessed with book or really yeah. interested in books yeah. especially in Jane Eyre but were you writing did you write as a child or yeah yeah was it diaries or poems or um, fiction already or yeah i mean obviously there was like um school writing so you always had to do you know what i did on my weekend or whatever and i was always making up stories for for school but i remember um <laughs> i remember writing a tiny book interesting yeah how old were you oh gosh i don't know must have been about five 
So I you're not know. your first Nobel writer. Yeah, this is my first novel. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my mother was in hospital and um, I made her a tiny book. Oh, and it was nice. like a little story of um, the sun and the moon. And uh, I think my dad still has it somewhere. And do you have someone else in your family or in your surroundings that wrote books or wrote fiction? Or was it something very new for... Well, my mum actually, she wrote cookery books. Oh, really? Yeah. So recipes and things like that? Yes, or yeah, kind of recipes, books? yeah. All right, so, so you had someone in your surrounding that was actually writing, writing. And, and took the writing for something serious. Yes, absolutely. Um, She was, she. my parents immigrated to the UK in the 60s, but she was a very um, entrepreneurial and beautiful and creative person who was an astonishing cook, you know, not just in the kind of, oh, you know, she's... Not in the kind of like Indian mother kind of sense, which is always <laughs> astonishing. But, you know, she she had to make her own way when she first came here and, and writing cookery books came very naturally to her. She was one of the first people in the UK of Indian origin to start doing that work. And one of my, my some of my earliest memories of her, um, conscious, really conscious memories of being told to, that we had to like let her be because she was writing. Okay, so it was a serious thing yes. and oh, yes. you have to give her some time and, and quietness for her to do that, right, which yeah. is something important for a child to understand. Right, yeah. and you know, to see her sitting at a desk and actually with it. a manuscript and a pen, she had beautiful handwriting. Um, and then see, to see that go from that thing to a finished book that was on our shelves, which, I mean, she died when I was 28, but I still have that those that, those, that collection of cookery books and it means everything to me. Absolutely, it's <laughs> such a beautiful memory also to have from someone a book. Um, do you know what other events in your life that made you willing to write a novel, not just a book? Is that something you read or is that because you were bored, but I don't think you were bored because you seem to have been a very yeah. <laughs> busy person. I don't know. I think if, 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 if you read, if you're a reading person, then I don't think you can ever get bored, um, <laughs> you know. And life was very different, obviously, growing up in a very small town like I did in the, in the 1980s. When I was a kid, there was four TV channels. Mm -hmm. In fact, I remember when Channel 4 started, so there was three, actually three TV channels. There was no Ooh, exciting. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Yeah. So, and I wasn't even allowed TV because, you know, Indian family. So... <laughs> you can't be corrupted by this uh, this culture. So, you know, there was a kind of emphasis on reading, which meant that you could never get bored. But I, I don't know. I think fiction writing is just part of who I am. I have never wanted to do anything else. Right, Not already really. knew for a long time. Yeah. So you told me that around age 33, you decided to do it for real. And so what happened? Did you jump into your desk and took the first sheet of paper you had and started to write it off? No, no, I uh, I had a job. Um, I was writing human rights reports and editing for an NGO, um, which it was fantastic. But like I said before, it was it was kind of unfulfilling in some ways. And so I knew that I had to um, try something new. So I enrolled on a night class. An adult education, um, where which was a creative writing class for beginners. Nice. And so every week I would leave work and go to go across town on the on the subway. I used to live in, where I used to live in London, all the way across town on the on the Circle Line. And if anyone who knows London knows 
in the circle line, sometimes it can take, you know, decades mm-hmm. um, to the other side of London and take this night class um, with a bunch of other people who was who were starting out. Um, and that really gave me a lot of encouragement to start. I wanted to get together a portfolio of short stories to apply for an MA in creative writing because I kind of had gathered that if I really wanted to take the step into professionalizing my writing, then that would probably be the way to do it. It wouldn't be, it would be some, maybe somewhat easier than just doing it on my own time, Mm -hmm. finishing a novel and then trying to find an agent. So there was a definite sense in my mind that perhaps the MA might be a stepping stone to that professionalizing of writing. So night class happened. Um, the stories were really good. Uh, I, the stories I got from everyone else, the feedback was good. Um, the teacher encouraged me to apply for an MA, um, so I did, and I did it part time around my job for two years. All right, so you you took this project very seriously. Oh yeah, definitely yeah. right from the start. <laughs> yeah, no, because mm. after the um, you know, you can't. There are expensive things MA courses, and so I, I mean, I didn't quit my job straight away. I had to. I had to carry on working. Um, Absolutely. And, and luckily, you know, in London, there are ways to, to do part-time work as well as, you know, find a way to, to manage that around your life. So um, after that, I I got to the end of the MA and then I had this idea that I could maybe take a PhD because then, then you really can commit three years mm-hmm. to working on a long project and I felt ready. Um, and I was very lucky to get funding to do that. So I did then quit the job and take three years out to write this novel, We That Young. And when do you write? When you were doing this PhD or when you were doing your, your MA, do you prefer to write by night, by day, or during the holidays? How do you manage to find some time? So how do you manage to do this, to find the time to write a 500 pages book? <laughs> well, I think that is one of the benefits of doing a PhD yeah. and also going into it older mm-hmm. um, because I was already used to waking up and going to work every day <laughs> and sitting at my desk all day mm. and writing reports mm. and doing research. It wasn't mm. a new habit to have mm. to form and much of writing is really about sitting down at your desk and doing the work habitually whatever comes out of you and drafting and redrafting and being in that discipline it's a craft yes it takes talent and of course it takes skill that you can practice and hone um but that craft of 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 of, that you have to develop is is exactly as like a potter would using clay or an artist would first you learn to draw and then you learn to paint and then and so on and so on then you can get experimental so for me it wasn't very difficult to carry on in that routine mm-hmm. um, but it was different because the spaces I was working in were suddenly very different they weren't open plan offices with lots going on in them it was much more me on my own mm-hmm. in a room or in the, in the library I worked a lot in libraries brilliant free you know is that good for you, Do you yeah <laughs> libraries yeah. oh yeah, yeah yeah I mean no one can survive the community community cannot survive without the library it's completely essential I love libraries for picking up books I would have no idea about yeah but for working I got just distracted because there are so many great books I want to read <laughs> so if I want to write I have to be on my in my bedroom no books around of course no internet around But like, no libraries are too tempting for me. But for you, it's a good place to work. I think you know, once I've got my words down, then um, I'm I'm very good at just concentrating on what's in front of me. But 
to do the raw work, the first things that you actually write down, um, yeah, then I prefer to be like in a room on my own, preferably with a window. <laughs> and um, other people's books don't distract me so much. Um, and and back then, I don't think the internet was so much, so compelling. No, you're so lucky. Social media. I'm not on Facebook, and I never have been. I, I think it's an appalling thing. thing. Yeah. Mm. And what is the most difficult thing for the for you as a writer is it building up characters is it finding a good plot um is it trying to i struggle quite a lot with the ethics of how to write the things i want to write about mm-hmm. um so with this book um it's with this novel we that are young it's a really kind of in-depth look into elite culture And that wasn't hard to decide on because obviously it's based on a play that is about a royal family. So, you know, and I feel like for me, there's a reason that Shakespeare decides to do that with this play. He he wants to examine the world of inequality and he decides not to do that from the point of view of the people who have the least. As far as we know, Shakespeare was a very, very middle class landowning guy who happened to also be a poetic genius lucky him and writing for the theater and so on and so on that's you know contested but but most likely most likely the truth right Mm. and he decides to not do something which we think about quite a lot these days like he decides not to try to inhabit the world of the working class people the servants and so on he decides to inhabit the royal class through the imagination and talk about how they perpetrate inequality and how they have to come to terms with what they've done and the impact of the world that they've created because that kind of inequality does come from the top down, from the decision makers who set the taxes, who set the law, who who decide on what justice is, who decide on social hierarchy, who say that women come second, you know, that underneath the women there are the slaves and there's there's so much there that I think, you know, literature has decided over time isn't the subject matter of literary fiction. We often get the fiction of, you know, the, the bourgeois, which is absolutely fine, that's the milieu of the novel in a way, or we get working the, the people, people inhabiting others that they think are less well off than them as they write. They kind of send their imaginations into those others. But I really wanted to do something that would break down some of the things that I see around me now and... And the kind of culture of hungry capitalism, which I think makes everyone frustrated, frustrated mm-hmm. and angry, um, and 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 promotes a kind of existential despair, where the smallest act of kindness between humans can show that up for how awful it actually is. It is so difficult for people to join hands across those divisions. And they're not created by the people who have the least. They are created by the people who have the most. But how do you how do you then write about things that you do see around you? You know, can you put constraints on yourself like that? Um, the next thing I want to do um, has a different set of challenges. And um, how to how to do that ethically is something that I'm currently wrestling with. I understand. Um, so it feels like when you start a project, you have the main purpose in the head first. You don't have the character first in head. You have this wheel of talking about capitalism or showing 
different yeah I I think that's fair um it certainly um for me comes from a sense of something that I feel like is an important web of injustices that I want to examine but but that is always just there in my brain um like a series of connections and really how to do that is the next question um and that really is character driven for me it is not plot driven um or or place driven or anything like that it really has to do with the, the, characters. the characters yeah mm-hmm. and then how do you do you have like a specific way of creating character because i know some people like write like huge huge amount of description of the character before they start to write the story Is it something you do or something that you would not Yeah, do? I did do that for for this book um, because I felt like for, it was very important to understand so much about them that whatever situation I put them in, I would already know instinctively how they would behave because I don't want to get stopped. I don't want to suddenly put these characters in a situation that then I have to think go away and think about, oh, on page nine I said that they were 20 pounds overweight, but suddenly... It needs they're, to be. they're slipping through a, you know, it, it, it really colours everything. It colours the way you describe them moving through a room. It colours the way that other characters will see them and how they feel comfortable in their own clothes or whether or not they sweat in hot weather. I mean, you have to know that. For me, you have to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how can you... It isn't just about how they're going to behave, um, but it, it, the architecture of the book will change Um according to what their favorite color was when they were a child it, it just will mm-hmm. whether or not you write that into your book or not if you know it then somehow it will inflect so your story is more driven by the character much more by, than by the plot for example oh uh, yeah i think i think that's true yeah how do you find the strength to finish a project i'm very stubborn yeah <laughs> um i think you know i'm just obsessed with the language And I really need to carry on working every sentence until I feel like it's doing everything I want it to do. Um, I, I hate the kind of sense that I have to get to the end, you know. And I often have a last line in my head that that I don't know where it's going to go, but I know that's the end. So when I write it, then I know I'm done. <laughs> it just happens. It's All right. Like, yeah. So... I have a sense of an ending, I suppose. That's nice. Yeah. So you feel like your greatest strength as a writer, or one of your greatest strengths as a writer, is just very to be very stubborn. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's a great quality to have. I'm stubborn against myself. I, I mean, I, with a theology degree in mind, like there's different ways of thinking about self-discipline. Mm. But I think the more esoteric side of different religions shows us that the real, the real war of faith is the war with the self to mm-hmm. to become the kind of person that can achieve I'm not you know religious as such but I suppose I have a kind of spirituality in a way um and that, and that and that feeling that it, it's a personal struggle I'm not doing it to prove it to anyone else or compete with anyone or you know think of myself as published and then put books in shops and stuff and that is what the world sees when a writer makes a book that goes into the world it really is a very personal struggle um and it's just about writing something that i think has 
I put everything I have into, and it, and it isn't ever done until it's until it's done. Absolutely. <laughs> With this book, though, um, Ellie Miller, who's my editor at Galley Beggar Press, she and I worked very very hard um, to make this text ready for publication, and um, it was a very intense process between the two of us, which um, which was an astonishing act of generosity and commitment on her part. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, to have that kind of collaboration with another person also makes you even more committed that you've got someone who's kind of putting in the time with you. So, you know, you have to step up to that. And you have to believe in your work. Right. Definitely. You can't expect them to if you don't. (laughs) And how was your collaboration with publishing house? They worked, as you said, with you on the material itself. Yep. Was it painful for you to do so I mean I, as you said we are grateful for someone to be interested in your work but just it was interesting. very interesting very interesting because um, Galley Beggar Press is is the kind of publication it's the kind of publishing house that is it's it's very small for, for a start they publish two or three books a year four at the most and so you get this kind of attention from them to your text which is just a massive privilege you know to have that um, it's done for love, first and foremost, to make beautiful books and to, to publish literature they completely believe in. The, the process of editing, after, after this book went first on submission in 2013, um, it went through a period of being rejected um, in London and it was a moment of reckoning for me because I had benefited from education um, schemes, diversity schemes, and whether or not it was always said, there was this, I, I did have a sense that some of the things I had achieved until that point in professional terms, like going through university and stuff, had been partly to do with my identity. I mean, that's always in the air. If you are if you look around you and you're like, oh, wait, I'm the only person of colour here, that may be because I'm, you know, not just you can't you cannot stand there and say it's because I'm so special you literally cannot do that because it simply isn't true um it's because you got lucky and that's and that's who you were on the day um which is kind of weird as well how tokenism works to shape your mind um so so you know it goes to all these publishing houses and it gets these very polite rejections um which when I look back not that I you know, look back on the wording of them, but I, I, came, I came to realise that there was a, there was more going on than perhaps it, my bad writing. Mm-hmm. So it's not only depending on you or on your book. It was yes, other... or it was me, and it was this book. Who knows? Like, yeah. if you if you get seven, if you get two black <laughs> think minority writers in the room, you'll have nine, ten hours of podcast horror stories of the kind of structural discrimination that you face as a writer. Mm. Um, it's hard enough getting published without also being all of these other things as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, it was the first time I actually realised what I had done as a woman of colour writing Shakespeare. I didn't realise. I just wanted to do this book. Mm-hmm. It was it was interesting. It was a puzzle for me that I wanted to solve. So... When it finally sold to Galley Beggar, that must have been twenties, early twenty sixteen. 
So it was sort of three, four years later. Mm. And then um, Ellie and I started working on it around the other books that she was putting out that year. Um, I also was finishing a research fellowship. So, um, and, and so it wasn't, out until to August 2017 that was the um that was the moment that it actually came out into the world so for over those months she was working really hard with me to she was just probing my my text for all of the things she felt like needed filling out or needed explaining or parts that if we had some tasks over one particular character there was a scene that wasn't quite working for her and in the end I split it into two different characters and she and that was the right thing to do um there were passages in the book that I had written in a very um lyrical style that was didn't have to be so obscure so we made those a bit more concrete and that works as well so you know I was very grateful and it was fascinating because she she'd never been to India when we were working on this book together. So she might have a lot of questions to ask. And and there was a little bit of push and pull with that, but she's an incredibly nimble-minded person. Um, if she ever listens to this, she's going <laughs> she's to hate me. But um, she's an extraordinary editor, and she has the kind of brain that can hold huge amounts of detail information. So if you say on the first in the first chapter that someone was is 15 in 1989 and then you know three chapters later they're 29 in 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 and it's only been 10 years she she'll remember that mm -hmm. um, it's exactly what you need it's in an editor absolutely someone who can absolutely have a good eyes for details yeah especially for 500 pages book yeah well someone who is focused and yeah. try to understand in many ways she was my perfect reader because I wanted to um, test out like the books written in all these different languages. There's quite a lot of Hindi in there, there's yeah. a little bit of Sanskrit and mm. and and she obviously is like a very, very avid reader of all sorts of fiction at different levels, from the very first unpolished draft of a writer's work right through to, you know, Virginia Woolf and so on. So for her, she if she could understand the ways in which the text was working then i knew that i was i and she and she wasn't bored in a way <laughs> then i was doing my job yeah it's always so amazing that people are not bored about what you're writing yeah right? <laughs> um and in 500 pages we never really thought of it as that long because it's written in five different voices absolutely um so we worked on them in discrete blocks of 100 pages and i remember when the book first arrived Uh, I was taken aback at how big it was because <laughs> suddenly it was like, wow, this whole thing is really big. Yeah, you were surprised by, I the, was surprised, by yeah. the shape of, of the book. Right. And um, we are reaching the end of this interview. And before I let you go, um, I wanted to know if you would have, it's always a weird question to ask, but would you have any advices for any aspiring first novel writers, anything that you think that would help them to get the strength to finish their work or to believe in the possibility of being published or bringing <laughs> a new point of view into the literary world? If you don't have any advices, that's fine. Just don't give up. Yeah. Keep working. That sounds like a good advice. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, every writer gets rejections. Sometimes it's just for a short story. Sometimes for it's for a novel. Um, it, it, sometimes it's not you; it's them. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much for your time, uh, Pretty Taneja. We now feel greatly warmed up <laughs> and ready to hear you reading part of your novel with that eye young and talking through it during the Novel Writers' Night tonight in Spike Island in Bristol. So thank you so much for coming and answering my questions. Thank you.